0: Welcome to the Nash Vocations podcast. Joining me today are Oscar Romero, Skylar Cummings, Francisco Castillo, and I am your host, Anthony Romeo. Today we're going to be talking about obedience. This is a word I heard tossed around a lot. I thought I understood it. I don't know if I do now. What is obedience?
1: It can be used in lots of different ways. Um, I was actually asking priests before I joined seminary last year, um, kind of what the Hardest part of priesthood and seminary was, and I remember Father Butler told me specifically that obedience was one of the hardest things that um, he found going through formation. Um, but what he told us was, or what, what he told me was, um, it was to accept with charity what the Lord might be willing in your life through someone that is superior to you, someone that's in charge of you. And it doesn't mean you like what they ask for, because sometimes what they give you might not even work; it might not be the best. Um, but it's to do it obediently, to do it patiently, um, and then. From there, you can suggest things, but you have to do it to a certain extent, knowing that it might be good, even if it might be beyond your own volition of what you thought would be best in a circumstance. So it can vary in how it's used, but that was how Father Bellery explained it to me. Um, for example,
2: like uh, what I think obedience is, is the perfect reflection of Mother Mary, um, how she obeyed God. And so I guess that's a really good example, as, as Christian Catholic, is to meditate her, you know, in those virtues.
3: And I think even obedience overall, it's uh, a little bit tougher for, even for me to kind of understand when I have to do things. Uh, but I think the, it's a great definition of doing things uh, with love and kind, even though you might not like them or you might not be agreeing sometimes even with it. Um, but overall, doing it out of love for the other person and love for your own vocation at, at that same time.
0: And I think there's really two ways to go about it, um, or maybe even three. The, the worst way is to, to not do it, right? And um, that's sort of a failure, too, in humility, to sort of humble yourself before authority. Um, we have to remember Christ was always obedient to his Father, right? He pr- talked about Mary. Also, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, 16, when he's, he, he finds this scroll and he devours it, um, and it fills his heart with happiness, all right? Um, the scroll that he eats is a scroll of condemnation, right? But it was the word of God, and he was obedient to it, and it filled him with happiness. So um, uh, so that's uh, one, one way. And The other way is to do something that, you know, someone in authority tells you, but you do it without charity, and you do it sort of like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this, but I don't care, and I might even voice my opinion against what I'm doing, but you're still doing that action, I would probably argue that that's still a a failure in obedience because it lacks charity, kind of to your point. Yeah. And then the third way is to do something and to do it with charity. Um, And I actually did ask advice about this to some of my priest friends, and they said, one thing that's helpful is that when you hear something and, and, and you know the bishop's telling you to do something, that you need to seriously doubt yourself in that situation and be like, this is coming from uh, authority, it's not conflicting with my conscience. I need to doubt myself and put this uh, decision uh, kinda um, at a higher uh, level than, than what I have in my own opinion. Because I think it's it's the temptation is, is that, well, I know what's best, you know, the gospel according to me, right? Me, 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 like the culture that we have. Our culture is not an obedient culture, right? We think about a sort of a me first society, as long as I'm looking out for myself, but with obedience and how it's attached to charity and humility so intimately that when we can lower ourselves and open our hearts to to this kind of thing. Um, as we've quoted Scripture, and as you talked about Mary, the Lord can do wonderful things.
1: Yeah, you made a good distinction, too, about, um, about your conscience. Like, knowing whether or not what you're being asked is going against morality is, is always always has to be applied. So if it's something that you think is not morally correct, you're, you're obliged as well to not obey it and to ask advice from someone else. Like, is this okay? Um, to not be completely blinded, um, but to be to be open to knowing like, whether or not this is okay. If it is, then yeah, you should, you should humble yourself and see what comes out about of it um, with charity as well.
3: And I think obedience is a reflection of giving yourself too. I mean, sometimes we might not like to do whatever we've been asking to or we've been asked of to do, uh, but overall it's, uh, I think, even in my own self, and my own reflection of how much do I want to give myself I have to take in consideration that in order for me to to give myself, I need to be obedient to someone else. I need to be obedient to my bishop, my vocation director, uh, Prince information, and sometimes even, why not, some seminary brothers. Um, I think that's a, a, the most toughest part, even from, from one person, to kind of understand giving yourself in obedience.
2: On that same note, um, with the obedience, it's like, you're denying yourself in the sense that you want the good of, of others, and so with that sacrifice it, you know you have to do with uh, with love and One thing that just came to mind was um, you know in the beginning of Genesis, uh, there was Adam and Eve they fell from grace because of the disobedience of God and so I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. That's
1: really good. Yeah, I think so, it's to uh, 33 Days to Merciful Love, I think it is, or Morning Glory. I forget which one, but it was their author talked about that, that the like, original sin, um, but the big sin that we hold from original sin is that disobedience and it's a lack of trust, actually. That disobedience is a lack of trust in ourselves or into the authority that it's given to us. And that happens all throughout um, the Old Testament. Yeah. Starting with Adam and Eve. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Lucifer
0: said, I will not serve. We need to literally do the polar opposite of that. I will serve, um, and I, I think there. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, situations in Scripture. I think uh, the contrast between David and Saul. Right. Mm-hmm. Saul kind of wanted to do his own thing. He even he even was seeking out someone that could speak with the dead because he didn't trust the Lord. He goes to a mediator, right? Because he didn't trust the Lord. Whereas David, you know. Is like, oh yeah, you want me to fight Goliath? Sure. I mean, could you? That's the that's the contrast there. Even Saul, w- when David stepped up to uh, fight Goliath, was like, all right, you know, whatever. And it's because uh, of David's fidelity um, that that the Lord, uh, like we've said, the Lord was able to work and and use David as that instrument in His hands, which is ultimately. What what we are to desire, how how God is to use us as well.
3: I think one one other big character uh, in the Old Testament that gives us uh, almost a perfect obedience. It's a Job, you know, like the Lord gave it, the Lord took it. Blessed be the Lord. That's how much trust he gave to the Lord, and uh, he, he was obedient. Yeah, it's obedient.
0: You bring up a great point. Actually, I was reading the book of Job the other day, and uh, one of the things that's really interesting, and, and it does contrast, again, with our culture here, um, and sort of a lack of obedience, but so yeah, Job, all these terrible things happened to him, and his friends, towards the end of it, were like, hey, are you going to ask God, like, you know, what's, what's the deal? Why did he do all of these things? And so Job's like, okay, fine. And so it's kind of like in any other story, it's sort of like you think it's going to be this big climactic moment, and Job is about to address God about why the things happen. And God shushes him, essentially, and says, hey, I'm God, and you're not, and my ways are not your ways. And it's like, oh, there you go. <laughs> you know. And so, and so yes, Job was obedient, and, and God sort of gives us this message of like, you're going to need to trust me. I know how it's all going to work out. Um, I think of uh, who's that saint in uh, uh, with Our Lady of Fatima when um, she's doing all these things. She's hearing the Lord speak to her, right? And then all these people are gathered around her, and um, I think it's Our Lady that says to her, "Wash and be cleaned, be clean." And she sees like mud, like this muddy water, and she kneels down and starts putting it all over her face, and people get really upset because they they're like, "Oh no." she 's actually just crazy, right? and they didn't realize that it was that purest obedience in that sense that she was willing to do um, anything uh, she was she was willing to do anything for the Lord
3: yeah, and I think even even with us um, trying to build uh, a relationship with others with your bishop, your vocation director um, seminary formation it's an important way for us to kind of understand how much trust do I have to put in them? How much uh, obedience do I have to be able to take? Um, you know, sometimes we don't I, I, we don't take the time to kind of listen to people. Um, but I think even um, for us or, or even in, in the Spanish, but in the Spanish word, obediencia, uh, it gives you a of an audience. It gives the word audience. That means that you have to listen to an audience. You have to listen to many people. uh, And you have to do. You have to do it. Sometimes we don't want to. Uh, I can speak for myself that sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I just don't want to do it. But I really don't want to do it. And, uh, you know, even now, you know, um, some of our brothers getting close to ordination, you know, listen to the bishop and say, you know, now you have to pray. The liturgy of the hour uh, like almost like a mandatory. Um, I... Trust me. There's sometimes that you get up and you're like, I don't want to do this, but I made a promise, and I have to keep up with my promise, and I have to keep obeying what I promise.
0: How's something? Uh, so we've talked about some big decisions with obedi- obedience. What's something daily that helps us exercise and build that virtue of obedience as seminarians, as sons of the church?
2: Yes. Um. First of all, like first, uh, self denial is one of them. And then even, like, if it's a small task, uh, for example, like, you know, growing up, our parents will always, you know, get on to us of, make your bed, right? And, you know, at the time, we can't see the fruit behind it, but as we get older, it's like, it's, it builds us to a better person, to be better Christians. And so I think that's a really good example for that.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, talking behind my, my own uh, culture, cultural experience, you know, in, in the latino or uh, hispanic culture um we always said you know every time we have to do something and we don't want to we said you know i'll guide god first um leave things to god and you know just do it with charity with love uh, but always trusting that that's what the lord wants you to do
1: yeah so um, day-to-day i think a good point that you brought up oscar was a uh, prayer is that fidelity to prayer day-to-day um because sometimes it is hard and like, oh, like, I don't feel like doing it. Um, and it first comes out of obedience, but it's a response in charity and listening to like, you know, like our spiritual director has like asked me to do this exercise for the next few weeks. Like I need to, I need to journal every day, just like what I'm doing, how I feel, is this, this situation with another brother? Like if I do that, that's not only going to be for my own good. And I think that's something that like I learned as I went through my first year of seminary is whatever we do out of obedience, it's not only for our good, but it's good for the whole church. And that's ultimately what the priesthood is, is it's the good for the whole church. Um, and that happens day to day as well.
3: And I think creating a, um, a habit of obedience, it's a good habit.
1: Yeah. It's a very good habit. So are we able
0: to disagree with something that someone, that one of our formators tells us to do? Are we able to be, is that, is that obedience? Or would that be allowed
3: I'm pretty sure we disagree most of the time of the things that, that we've been told to do. <laughs> yeah. We definitely do. Um, but again, coming back to that charity and giving yourself to, to, to God, to the person, to, to the community, um, that's, a, that's a gift, giving yourself in obedience.
2: On this, uh, with that question, is uh, you know, uh, St. Peter actually said, on Acts the Apostles, uh, five twenty nine. We must obey God rather than man. Mm-hmm. And so, if we have you know our a root set of what God asks us, then it's kind of like you know letting the Holy Spirit guide us and letting Him take control. And even in situations where, like y'all mentioned, um, we don't feel like it, you know, even though we don't know what's going to happen in the future, like one really good example. Um, you know, Abraham, you know, he obeyed God in, in leaving his family, and as a seminarians, you know, we leave that lifestyle of family, you know, growing our own family, and just to do God's will, I think that's very, very beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I think a, a key part of that, it keeps coming up, we keep referring to the Old Testament over and over again, um, because in the Old Testament, like, the Lord gave us the law to follow by, and I was giving a talk to um a range of elementary and middle schoolers for Titus recently on the 10 commandments. And it was something that I had to explain, like, well, why do we still follow this? If like Jesus came and like perfected the law, well, I had to explain to them like, well, like when you're on a playground, um, like when there's a fence around the playground, children feel much more safer to go around and be free and do it and play all around the playground. But if there's not a fence, they tend to stay closer and closer to the middle because they, they don't know what is on the outside. Um, that's actually like a study someone's done and that's what obedience really teaches us it teaches us the rules of the game and like where where it's where we can step out in some places and where to know like that's not our place and we need to learn Um, and it is kind of that what you talked about in our culture of our stubbornness of wanting to do it for ourselves is that there's a lot more times in our life um, that we need to listen from others to really understand like what the rules of the games are and like um, I've mentioned before, like, I used to play a lot of uh, musical instruments, and if you don't know what the key signature is and you're playing a different key signature everyone else, it's going to sound terrible. So if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing um, through the obedience that you're asked throughout formation or wherever you are in life, like, it's going to be harder to, not only for you to understand what's going on, but to also relate to others um, through that as well.
3: And I think obedience also helps us out in keeping in check with, with our pride.
1: Hmm.
3: Pride is the most, you know, it's because I'm pretty sure we have we I, I mean even myself many times when I've been told to do things you're like but I think we I think we can do it better like your way it's not it's you know we can do it some other way um but sometimes you know like okay so we're going to do it this way because he wants us to do it this way why am I prideful and say you know I re- I'd rather do it myself my own way um that act- that's a big check on obedience you're like okay so do I do it my way or because of my pride or do I do it some like someone else's way because it's uh, that that's what I've been told to do it
0: yeah like we mentioned Lucifer you know like he said I will not serve and he, he was very proud right he was uh and and I think that is the danger and I think that um when obedience is rooted in humility um it can be more free um so for me specifically in like or myself and uh, Nonzo, uh and Brent there, in about 252 days, I will place my hands in the bishop. Who's and, counting? <laughs> and he will say to me, do you swear obedience to me and my successors? Right? That's the question. That's sort of what seminary and formation is preparing you to say yes to. But to be free to say yes to um, so how can we have freedom, but be obedient at the same time? I that that's that I mean that's something that
3: a lot of people think of of obedience. You know, when I am obedient, I'm losing my freedom. But you are not, and again, it's going back to giving yourself to the other person. When you give your freedom, that means that you're more free because you you're not tied to that freedom. Because sometimes freedom can tie to you. And obedience helps you out to be more free, more, more at peace. And I think that more at peace can be phrased in a different way. But it, you can be more free, more freely, when I give myself, especially my own freedom.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a very sensible. Um, I like. I can't understand big picture things sometimes. It's, I have to break it down to like uh, circumstances to be able to relate to them. So one thing that came to mind thinking about when I'm more free through obedience was. Through social media, actually, like being told when I went to the convocation right before I joined seminary, like, oh, you're a public person now. What you put on your personal social media, someone sees that and they don't only just see you, they see the Diocese of Nashville, they see the vocations office, they see priesthood, they see the Catholic Church. And knowing, like, so the office says, like, they ask certain things of us, like, um, out of obedience, like, you shouldn't post about, you know, like topics that might be hot button issues, not because you don't know what the truth is or you might not be able to help people understand what the truth is. Um, but that's not your role. And that was something in obedience that, like, it made me free to be able to, like, oh, like, I do want to, like, retweet this, but, like, that's not my job. And so it actually made me more free to be, like, well, what can I do through my social media? And so it actually, like, helped me to know, like, oh, I can post about, like, what it's like to be in seminary for myself and not, you know, having another voice out there on this, like, one hot button issue, you know? So that was a concrete example I just thought of. But,
0: do you guys—I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but just to make, like, a distinction, right? Um, let's say the, our bishop, you know, doesn't like the Green Bay Packers or something like that, and on social media you post about the, the Green Bay Packers. Like, obviously that's not being disobedient. That's not like—you're uh, not doing anything wrong there. But what's something, like, specific maybe in seminary life, like, with, with formation— does anybody have any examples where, like, hey, I wanted to do this, but formation told me to do this, and it and it worked out better in the end, or something like that? I just can't think of anything off the top of my head, just so that people can understand what we're talking about.
3: Well, I think sometimes even even you know, um, when you want to wear your best surplus, ah. you know, <laughs> that for evening prayer you want to wear your best surplus, you know, and you have it already set up with your mm-hmm. really nice cassock, but then oh, no, you have to wear an alb and the albs that we have to give, that we have in our closet. Good example. Um, I think sometimes even that, uh, that comes up even with pride. I mean, Mm -hmm. to be prideful of what you have, sometimes you have to be like, okay, so it's not about me, it's about giving myself, and then within that giving myself, Christ be present in the center, Mm -hmm. not myself. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good example. I mean, I think... uh, uh, you know, so, some guys maybe, uh, like, oh, I wouldn't be caught dead, like, not wearing a cassock or something like that. Or I wouldn't be caught dead, like, not wearing a tat or something like that, right? And, and and to, but, like, when somebody specifically asks you, like, your formator says, hey, I, you're wearing your cassock, like, all day, every day. Like, can you do this or something like that? And it's like, oh, I, I really don't want to do that. Like, How oh, dare you? Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, that's that could be an example of, like, you need to humble yourself. You need to let go of, of your own image um, because essentially it's how you want to be perceived and then allow sort of formation to work on you so that you can be more humble so that you can say yes to that decision of, do you swear obedience to me and my successors?
1: Yeah, something that happened this year too for obedience was we have house jobs in seminary. So every uh, calendar year, you get a new house job. That's your responsibility. It's what you do. So for me, I was anticipating like, oh. I think I'd be really good at, you know, like being sacristan. Like I don't really know much, but like I'm starting to pick up as I'm going. So I like was kind of like had this built up idea of like what my strengths, like what I can improve on. Um, But out of obedience, that wasn't the job I got. Um, (laughs) I got put in charge of food. So I tell people like, oh, the kitchen, we want this in the kitchen. I have to be like the communication, the food liaison or we need food for this event. And I did not expect that at all. Um, And I talked about it in confession with, with the priest and I was like, yeah, like, I had a very prideful response, and it was that obedience that um, that humiliated me and knowing, like, well, this is what the Lord is asking me to grow in, is, like, in leadership and in, in this one specific way that I would not have had the chance to do as a sacristan. Um, and that's, that might seem small, and I, I could have ignored it, but at the same time, like, that what, what the priest told me in confession was, like, this is what the Lord is asking of you. Mm-hmm. Like, and something yeah. that keeps coming up is, like, who am I to deny that, you know?
3: Yeah, and I think uh, the word you use, humiliated, sometimes we— take it out of really bad context, which, but it's truly really giving you more, uh, to be more humble. Mm-hmm. And it's not a word that, you know, like, means like, we're doing something bad, mm-hmm. and then we should be ashamed of. Uh, no, we should be more humble about it. Mm-hmm. And obedience, it's a way, it's a great conductor of humility.
0: What does obedience look like when we're not in seminary?
3: Well, in my own life and in my own, you know, privacy if that's what I want to call it. <laughs> um, I always think of, you know, being obedient, um, even when people are not looking it's to the things that, you know, if people see might not be I'm not not be ashamed of it. So I need to be able to not only just listen to my bishop or my vocation director, but not only in this circumstance within the church or with boundaries or you know, in the seminary, but through actually following it every day, 24-7, 365 days a week, a day, um, a year, I mean. Uh, but to be, live to live in obedience. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, sometimes it. I, I can forget or we can forget, but uh, that's something that I always try to put into my head, you know, live in obedience. And for me, I think one of the greatest, uh the greatest, And uh, and not just coming from a Benedictine monastery, but, you know, St. Benedict always listens, you know, that prologue, listen, my children. Um, It gets me like, okay, so one of these days I might tell them, you know, listen, and what can I show? My obedience is not that perfect. So I need to be obedient in order to be an example to everyone, um, to be an example of Christ to everyone overall.
2: Um, from uh, being, you know, not yet in the seminary and doing a pastoral year, um, Father Gilstrap and the bishop um, both agree of kind of taking one year not going directly to the seminary. And at first, you know, it's just like I was, I guess, like up there in the clouds and just want to go straight and uh, straightforward. But and and it's good that I kind of step a year back just to kind of know myself more and knowing what I'm getting into. And so, so, like, I was given this privilege of not going straight to the seminary in a sense, and uh, being obedient of, because they know best, you know, just like our parents know best, and I think that's also a good thing.
0: I think it, you're you have the perspective that you know. I think we're kind of looking for in the sense of like when you first started to understand, okay, I think God's calling me to to enter seminary, okay, I think God might be calling me to be a priest, okay. Do priests take vows? Okay, well, no, priests take promises. Okay, what what are these two promises? Okay, uh, I promise obedience, and I promise celibacy. When you first were understanding uh, obedience, you know what what was something that you kind of thought about it. Um, with the
2: and once again, like going self denial, because it's not like what we want to go or where we want to go. It's mostly kind of submitting ourselves to God's will, mm-hmm. and I think that's the, the perfect lifestyle we can live is doing God's will and and then being faithful and obedient, even though if it's, like, off our comfort zone,
0: you know. I think, like, uh, as I have been going through seminary, like, a while now, I always thought celibacy was going to be a challenge, and I'm sure I'm sure it will be because, you know, every person has that natural vocation to be married. You know, we as, as well, priests also had that natural vocation to marriage. Placed on top of that is that supernatural vocation to priesthood that we can say yes to we can say no to, right? Um, but in understanding obedience, as I've begun to learn, because I think when I first entered, um, I had so much respect for Bishop Choby, and I just I just loved him, just unconditionally. And I was just like, he can tell me anything, you know, and I just, I'm totally down for it, right? Um, and I think now, as I've gone through seminary, and I've learned more stuff, and, you know, I've have some years under me, I think that it's, become more difficult because it's like, I get to see that human side as I've gotten closer to our bishop, to my formators, and all that kind of stuff, and as they sort of trust you more, because you you are certainly treated differently your first year of seminary than to your last year of seminary. Your last year of seminary, they're like, all right, you know yourself. Um, As the PPF says, right, you are the chief protagonist in your formation, right? And so your first year, like you don't really know all this kind of, you don't really know anything, right? And so you're sort of just entrusting yourself to these people, which is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. But it's what you need to be doing at the end as well. And I think that with pride and with, well, I kind of know, and I know seminary, and I know formation, and you've kind of weaved through all of this kind of stuff. I think it, it becomes a great temptation to not have that same sort of trust that you had at the beginning as you should have at the end.
3: Yeah, and I mean going back to, to the Old Testament, you know, God would tell us to to shut.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, shut up. yeah.
3: Um, and so I think even learning to kind of stay quiet sometimes it's a, it's, it's especially in this in this time of of ours it's kind of hard, um, but sometimes a lot of a lot of gifts comes come out of just staying quiet, mm-hmm. in obedience and yeah. in
0: love. And it's difficult for us to see. I think, Skylar, you talked about how, like, you like to see the smaller pieces and how they're going to build to the big picture, and mm-hmm. we can't see the big picture. And, you know, when Christ came, people thought he was going to be this king that was going to restore Jerusalem and Israel with the, with the wealth of nations and all that kind of stuff, and they thought he was going to defeat the, the Romans, right? The, and he's like, no, 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 the true enemy is sin and death and the devil, and I'm going to deliver you from that. Um, and so we, they were looking at the smaller picture, right? The, the here and the now, um, the Romans being the enemies, um, they, they were, uh, essentially belonging to them. They wanted to be independent again, but they were being delivered from something so much more and they just couldn't see it. And I think that that works with obedience as well. Initially, we're like, I don't like this one bit, but down the road, we're like, oh my gosh, uh. Um uh, just a small snippet of my life would be um when I had to take a pastoral year. I really didn't want to do that. I was like, guys, come on. Like, just let me be a priest already, right? I don't want another year and, and just a defined pastoral year. I don't know if we've done this, but it's just it's a year away from seminary that you essentially spend in a parish. It's a good thing. Um, you're serving. You're kind of in the world a little bit more. I had a job working at Publix. But I went from, you know, working at sort of like a big wig desk job to like, you know, entering seminary and then having to take a pastoral year working at a grocery store. And I was like, ugh. I was like, I feel humiliated. And some of my old clients would see me and they'd be like, what happened? You know, and so I realized later that I had so much pride. And I really thought that I was, you know, hot stuff. And I, I, I needed to, the Lord to really enter into my life and, and humble me so that I could be more useful. Because when we're proud, it's extremely difficult to be obedient.
1: Yeah, and kind of going back to what you are talking about earlier, like, what does obedience look like when we're not at the seminary too? Like, a big one, like, this is my first summer assignment. And a year ago when I joined, I thought I would be in a parish somewhere right now, by myself, just like chilling, reading lots of books. Um, but that's not what I'm doing, and I had to, <laughs> I had to come to terms with that. Like I'm, I'm on this podcast team. I'm doing all these different things I never thought I would be able to do, and I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. And I, and it, like we said earlier, like it's, it's good to express that to other people, if to make it easier on yourself as well. Like I called the the assistant to our vocations office, and I called her, and I was like, "Listen, I don't want to do all of this." By the way, and just like, "I understand." I don't either. Sometimes, but she appreciates and she appreciates that honesty. And she was like, "Understand, like I go through the same things too." And I had to be like, "All right, like cool, now I'm gonna do it." But I had to get that out off my chest. Um, So, and even like during the summer, like we we get things are asked of us, um, we still do it for our own good as well. And bouncing back on on today's
2: world, you know, the life that we live is like Um, um, people just simply not wearing a mask, you know, and. And I think that's just a very hot topic right now because it makes them feel like we're losing our freedom in a sense, but and actually we're just doing for the well-being of others. So we just have to obey, you know, what they command us, and it's not for us; it's for someone else's safety.
0: Yeah, uh, my pastor is also our vicar general, right? And that word "vicar," right, vicarious, the vicarious powers that we uh, in canon law. And that, that word really means standing in the place of, right? So the vicar of Christ, the pope, stands in the place of Christ until he comes back. Um, the Vic, our vicar general is standing in the place of the bishop. And so one of the things that Father Hammond would tell me is that um, you have to have the mind of the bishop so that whatever I might think liturgically or whatever about this situation, it's not his mind. So I would be failing at my job. I'd be failing at obedience if I was unable to do that. Um, and so I go back to what I initially said. We have to seriously doubt ourselves when we're faced in these situations when someone in authority is telling us, um, hey, you should do X, Y, or Z. And I think going back to pride, it's, it's
3: always nice to kind of see that when you do something that you don't like, you do it with humility, love, with charity, um, and you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing you're doing it in order to be more like Christ. Overall, I think it's it's something that sometimes we or, or myself I forget to when when I ask to do something and I have to do it and it's just like grinding of
1: teeth and <laughs> yeah. you know, like
3: always wanting to do my own thing. Um, how am I expressing Christ to others?
1: Yeah, in this behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of when Jesus, you know, isolates himself and goes on top of the mountain once to pray and. Peter comes up to him and is like, yo, like, we have all these people down in the, like, village. You want all these miracles that you've been doing? And, like, what are you doing out here? Um, but he was so patient, and he listened to what the complaints were. Um, and I think that's a big part of obedience is, is that patience. Like, imagine how patient Christ was listening to so many people and knowing, like, what's best for them. And, like, here, but listening to their hearts um, and really getting past just the, the moment, but really, like, looking at the person, too. I think that's, that's a big part of it of obedience as well.
0: I specifically think of the road to Emmaus too It's like, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? Like, they're basically calling Jesus a dummy, right? <laughs> they didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. And he listened, like you said, he listened to them first. And so, um, I think to emphasize, like, to, it's it's okay to talk about um, these situations, to tell your formator, like you told Gerilyn, like, hey, I don't want to do this. All right? and And like, they appreciate that, and 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 we can tell God, like, hey, I know you're asking me to do this. I really don't want to do that, right? To sort of open our hearts completely to Him, so that because He wants to hear that, He wants to know, like, the most intimate parts of our of our life, the things we love, the things we hate, all that stuff. What we want, and what we want to do, and what we don't want to do. Um, and I think that that's being um, faithful in our prayer life. So what does obedience look like in these sort of high-stress uh, situations? Like for us specifically as as Nashville seminarians, there was a time for about, what, a, a year, maybe a year and a half, a year, um, when we didn't have a, bi- a bishop, you know, Bishop David Choby, God rest his soul. Um, there was a little interim uh, time, and, you know, we didn't know obviously, who the next bishop was going to be, where he was going to send us to seminary. Some of us were going from college to Theology One. That's a big thing. You know, what's happening? Who's this bishop going to be? And and how is he going to operate? How, do we, uh, how does obedience operate in high-stress situations?
1: I think waiting is also very good. Uh, you know, you hear the phrase a lot growing up, like you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, and to listen a lot more than you talk or you want to act, because um, waiting does a lot of good, too. Um, like, even like when, uh, when uh, the visitation happens, like Elizabeth says to Mary, like, you are blessed because, like, you waited, the, you waited on the Lord to fulfill what he had promised, um, and that's something that, like you said earlier, like Mary is the perfect example for that, is the Lord gives us promises, and he gives us these desires, or, or these, like, this new opportunity for, like, a new bishop. Um, or the new seminary that I'm going to be going to, uh, don't, if not, even if I don't know what it is, like waiting also like humbles us in the long term as well. Um, and there's so much to learn during that time.
3: I think patience too, you know, growing in patience, growing in, uh,
1: growing in freedom to be patient.
3: That's, that's hard to, to kind of just sit down and wait for things to, to go by. Um, thankfully, in high stress situations, if if you're pretty sure, hopefully it doesn't. It, it will not stay for for too long. Mm. It, it will pass. Better days will come. Um, you know, there's always there's always that point where you starting to doubt yourself and starting to doubt your relationship with God. I think obedience in that kind of sense, kind of it's it's a special kind to strengthen strengthen yourself with with your relationship with God. Um, and overall, I think even with the person who's in charge at that time, uh, I know that many times we we think, you know, waiting sucks, which I am not that much patient. Uh, but that's how I grow. Like, that's how I learn to be more patient in putting myself in that situation.
0: What about in times of scandal? I know that when I was re-entering in 2018, you know, we had that huge sex scandal and how... You know, it, I think it's really difficult. How do we, how are we obedient to the church, knowing that okay, this is the church of Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it, but we've got this real evil, just bad stuff going on in the leadership of the church. Um, what, would, what would we say to guys that are, you know, trying to trying to enter or thinking about entering in that sort of dichotomy of these two kind of contrasts?
3: I think we also have to understand that not the whole church, it's evil. Maybe that person is, maybe he's not. Um, but I think even knowing your, yourself, it's a, way to, it's a good example in how obedient are you um, and how much obedient you have to be within the church or to the church. You know, We know who is the Lord. You know the mother of, of our Lord. We have many saints who follow the church. Why do we have to, why do we have to agree with it? Because we have all of these, that ex, those all these examples uh, for many years, many, many years uh, of people who listen to the church and now hopefully they're in heaven. And thankfully we have people who are very good uh, listeners of the church, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: We had many scandals through many years, but always being faithful to the church and to God. Um, be obedient to both of them has always bring us out of that uh, despair sometimes, despair or dark times.
1: Yeah, and I think that's so right. We, we have to keep our eyes on eternity, especially during those hard times, during the scandals, during the stress, because that's what the church is a pilgrimage. Like, we're not, the church isn't here to solve all the problems. The church is here to provide like sacramentally like the means of which our Lord wants to work in our life. Um, and so there are going to be broken instruments, there are going to be problems, like we said earlier, if you don't agree with something, um, that doesn't reduce God's goodness in any any means at all. Um, if anything, it shows that His goodness cannot be restrained, even by our own sin, by our own pride. And that could be hard, especially if you see that in the leadership or in certain parts of the church. Um, but Again, like, we have to keep our eyes set on eternity, like, that's what it's all for anyway. Humans
0: run the church humans... That's right not news, now. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is not news. <laughs> you know, and, and, and with that comes personal sin. And the scandal, obviously, with the office of the priesthood, you know, because it's a human sort of uh, doing these things, it, It's we're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But we have to remember, too, it's also scandalous for, you know, a married man to commit adultery, to be drunk, right? Like, it's it's just... When we look to the priesthood, we're we're expecting sort of that perfection, as as we should. We we should see them as our spiritual leaders, and that's why it kind of hurts and cuts deeper when the you know hierarchy of the church is acting in that way. Um, but the church is the church is human, um, and 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 in, in that they're going to fall.
2: One thing that really stood out um, was that. You know, the church our, uh, The church provides the sacraments, and without it, I think, you know, uh, we won't be close to God. And so with, you know, having a veneration to the Blessed Mother, it kind of gives us, like, you know, going back in the beginning, it's like the perfect example of how to be a Christian and leave those virtues of obedience.
1: Yeah, and also reminded me of, um, like a lot of people will, will criticize the Pope for many different reasons and many different times throughout your life as a Catholic, and even people who aren't Catholic as well. Like, I have non-Catholic relatives who also question, like, why the Pope has this authority. And St. Peter is my confirmation saint as well, so I, 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 I tend to contemplate and go back to his life as well. But, like, in the moment of, like, the Lord, he denied the Lord three times. Like, how... Like, let that... Think about that and resonate that on the second. Like, the Pope, the first leader of the entire church, like, lied and, like, denied him, and there's one gospel, too, that stresses that, like, Jesus looks at him right when the cock was crowing, like, right, and he realized his sin, and tradition is that, like, Peter cried so much during the rest of the Passion that it, like, left, like, these, uh, like, caves on his face just from the, all, the, all the weeping that he had, and I think that's a good part, like, even when we find faults in others, and ourselves, and we're, we're being disobedient, or we might see someone else's disobedient, um, is to keep being faithful and praying, and what Peter didn't lack, that Judas did lack, is he knew he could be forgiven. That even when he was disobedient, like, he knew that the Lord's goodness is not limited. Um, so especially when we find our own disobedience throughout seminary, like, sometimes, I mean, I beat myself up a lot more like, man, like, I, I shouldn't have done that. Like, I was told I, wasn't, I shouldn't have done that, and I knew that it was good for me um, to not do it. Like, yeah, to, to keep being faithful and to keep listening, because the Lord isn't finished working on you.
0: Well, thanks for joining me. Thanks for talking about obedience. And this was the Nash Vocations Podcast.